Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hi. This is Walt Rakowicz, author of Transfluence. And if you want to learn how to lead with transformative influence, you should be listening to Build Your Network with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Walt Rakowicz. Walt is the author of Transfluence, How to Lead with Transformative Influence in Today's Climates of Change. He's a leadership speaker and former executive of Prologis, a global real estate company that was near collapse when he took it over as CEO in 2008. Walt also serves on a number of corporate and philanthropic boards and is a graduate of Harvard Business School. It's going to be such a unique and interesting conversation I'm about to have with Walt. But first, really quickly, if you are a seven-figure entrepreneur and you know that a podcast could benefit you and your brand, bring you more audience, bring you more clients, revenue, credibility, authority, book deals, speaking gigs, whatever it is that you want, you know that a podcast could help you get it, but you're just not exactly sure how to put one together. You don't have the time or team or resources to dedicate to figure it all out. Then have me and my team do that for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash podcast. There's a quick application there. We'll jump on a phone call to see if we'd be a good fit to build out a show for you. That's travischapel.com slash podcast my podcast. Walt, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Travis, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Of course. So I want to get right into it with you because I know we have some amazing things to talk about here. Let's rewind the clock first for those listening and build some context and chat a little bit about uh, where you came from. Walt, talk to me about, let's say, 11-year-old Walt 
Rockowich. What were you up to at that point? School, sports, academics, what was your family life, all that kind of stuff? Well, I, I don't know what your um, NFL affiliation is, but I grew up in Pittsburgh, so I hate to say it. Some people love it, others don't. I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Cowboys fan, so I think oh, that we're supposed no. to hate each other. Yeah. Well, we had some great Super Bowl. <laughs> you know, what, what I was thinking around then, I, I was beginning to understand that I say to a lot of people, I hit the parent lottery, really. My parents were just terrific. You know, we you know grew up in a very uh, middle-class family, didn't have a tremendous amount of financial wealth, but boy, my parents just gave me a tremendous amount of wealth of love and support. And I think about back then, I started to really realize how much I loved them. And my parents were hardworking people. You know, they appreciated what they had. But probably the most important thing, my memories go back, is that they appreciated people for who they were, not really Mm. what they had. Because they never really had a lot in the first place themselves. But I just loved that raw aspect of them. And I, I really think that that had a great impact on my leadership philosophy, which is really trying to put other people first. Yeah, sure. And it seems like that's had a tremendous effect on your impact that you've had on people now today. Talk to me about how that translate, how your family life, your good family life translated into academics and things like that in high school. Do you see that there's kind of a direct correlation? Neither of my parents were, they pushed me as hard as they could push me to be the best I could be. Neither of them went to college, both graduated from high school and then you know, basically started working after that. So for them, for me to get a college diploma was the biggest thing. And that's what I did. I went to Penn State University and I graduated with an accounting degree and I came out and worked for Price Waterhouse for four years. And, um, you know, I put the green eye shades on, Travis. It was, it was, I didn't really know back then what I wanted, but I knew I was a pretty good analytical person. And, um, but after about four years with the green eye shades and, you know, two years in tax and two years in audit, I kind of decided that wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. And I was very, very fortunate to get into Harvard Business School, as you, as you mentioned. And I tell you, I, I remember the first day being at business school, looking back, honestly, I had no idea how I got in. I, I kept looking around and I was thinking, God, I may be the dumbest person in this room, potentially. And, um, you know, which was great because at the end of the day, it pushed me to become, you know, stronger at what I did. And um, it raised the bar. And I think in raising the bar, it gave me something higher to jump for. And I met all kinds of future captains of America. Almost everybody there was, um, I believed, would be a very strong leader down the road. And frankly, I found myself digging deep to kind of define what made leadership you know, leaders successful. Because, you know, when you look around the room and everybody is more brilliant than you are, you're hoping that it's just something more than brains. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, right. But looking back on it, I was really blessed. You asked the question about my educational background. I, you know, to graduate from a terrific school like Penn State and then go to Harvard Business School, I mean, it doesn't get that much better. So I was, um, I was very pleased with at the end of the day with my educational background. And you obviously took to it as well, right? Like you weren't one of these people that just was like, well, I, you know, I, this is what my parents want me to do. And this is, seems like the path for me. But, you know, instead, I'm going to go do this other thing. It seemed like you actually really enjoyed the things that uh, were the traditional type path that you were being put on. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, everything was new. My parents really had no expectations as to what I could or should have accomplished down the road. They just wanted me to go to college and then let the cards sort of settle up out from there. 
you know, sometimes that's that's a good thing that they had no expectation. There were no family business. There wasn't anything like that to go into. So I was pretty much on my own. I'm kind of glad it, it shook out that way. Yeah. Why is that? Well, because I think sometimes when there is expectations put on you, you're always looking behind you. In my case, I was able to look forward and not worry about what my parents thought one way or the other. They were always proud of whatever I accomplished. And, you know, that was important enough to me. Yeah, sure. So talk to me then post-college. What's the uh, next step for you? So post-business school, I took a job with a company called Trammell Crow, which is a real estate development firm in Los Angeles. I have to tell you, I worked for a partner there that was really the first boss that I ever loved working for. Hmm. He was fun. He was full of life. He treated everyone with dignity as if they mattered, you know, really generous with his time and wanted us to be the best we could be. That was Mm -hmm. the most important thing. I mean, you could see it. He just pushed us every day to be better and better and better. And he really became a big influence on my life. You know, he was bright, but not, you know, technically brilliant, just smart, but people brilliant. Mm -hmm. I mean, he understood you know, people. And he understood that success was not necessarily defined by brilliance, but it was defined by how you treated people. Mm. And he became an amazing influence on my life. And one of the things I saw was that people work harder for leaders who care. They just do. That's the bottom line. And so if you want to succeed in life, and this is, I think, important for your listeners, if you really truly want to succeed in life, put others first, you know, and, and begin to focus on the people around you. And if you do that, I believe eventually you'll create the, the success that you want in your career. Yeah, it's doing those things that other people just aren't willing to do. You know, like he didn't have to go above and beyond. He didn't have to take a personal interest in the lives of his employees or anything like that. But because he did those things, it ended up working out much better for him in the long run. It seems to be just about everything in life, right? Well, like if you want a good marriage, you got to put time into it and you got to do the things that people aren't willing to do with that. If you want to raise good kids, then you got to put more time into it or do the things people aren't willing to do to raise their kids better. Or it's always on the other side of work or resistance where the, you know, fulfillment lies, where the awesome stuff resides. You know what I mean? Like you can't get to all the awesome things in life without kind of wading through some crappy things first (laughs) and uh, putting in work that maybe others aren't doing or aren't willing to do even. Well, I think that's right. And I think it's also showing an interest in people. You know, I mean, he used to take us on trips every year, the top people in the company at that point in time. But if you worked hard for him, he'd take you on a a week-long trip. And, you know, we did a city slicker type trip and we did one to Monument Valley on horses and we took bike rides up and down the coast of California and Hmm. went to Mexico, went to Alaska one time. I mean, it was just so much fun. And and on those trips, you got to know him and he got to know you personally. And I, I look back at those experiences and I cherish those. And I, I still say today, he was probably the best boss I ever worked for. Wow. Such an impact on you for sure. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers Agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed 
survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. What do you think are some other characteristics that a good leader has? You know, I had a really life-changing conversation with a gentleman by the name of John Mack, who was the CEO of Morgan Stanley during the financial crisis when I took over as CEO. Wow. And keep in mind that this is, you know, during the time when the world thought that Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley were going bankrupt and Prologis company I, I was running was on the verge of bankruptcy. The Wall Street Journal running an article about us potentially going bankrupt. We were one of the largest companies in the real estate industry. You know, it was a tough time. And I had just been asked to come back and become CEO to turn around the company. And I, I remember I caught, you know, one of my investment banker friends said, hey, Walt, I understand you guys maybe, you know, you guys, everybody thinks you're going bankrupt and everybody thinks we're going bankrupt. Do you want to have a conversation with Mac? And I said, sure. And I said, John, how are you running the company right now? I said, you know, don't tell me about the banking things I read in the paper and the like. Just tell me about how you're managing your people. He said, well, you know, I think there are three traits that I've learned over the years that I, I like to pattern my leadership after. And if I do, I find that people respond and I become a really good leader. And I said, well, what, what is that? And he said, well, interestingly enough, they all begin with an H because that's how I remember him. He said, um, the first is humility. He said, humility is sort of how you see yourself. And humble leaders are leaders that impact other people. He said, the second thing is honesty. He said, brutal honesty. It's easy to be honest and tell people the things you want to tell them, but it's really, really hard to tell things to people when the elephant's in the room and you don't want to tell them things. Communicating Mm. bad news really, really hurts. He said, but brutal honesty will get you everything in life. And he said, the third thing is a banker these days has to have a sense of humor. And I kind of laughed at that. And I said, well, you can see that you're right. I'm, I'm actually laughing. And he said, no, he said, I, I, I really mean that. And so I, I went back and I, I thought about those three words. And I think what, you know, the third one was a little bit hard for me. I'll be honest with you, Travis, because I'm not the funniest guy in the world, you know, but what Mac was really telling me is that it's important to be a human being. You know, whether that's cracking a joke around somebody or, or just being lighthearted or whatever that might be, but humanness is what he really meant. And humility, honesty, and humanness, I call it my 3H core. I talk a lot about it in the book. I think humility is how you see yourself. I think humanness or heart, if you will, is how you see other people. And honesty is really the transaction that connects the two. And I think leaders that do those three things, and by the way, that is easier said than done. You know, people think about humility and they, 
They think about it as a weakness or unassertiveness or submissiveness, which is entirely not true. You know, that's, it takes courage. It takes confidence. And humble leaders admit their fears and their vulnerabilities. And in doing so, they defeat them, you know. And being a human, you know, I mean, it's really, you know, the whole mantra is sort of it's not about you as a leader, right? It's about other people. And if you can recognize other people and if you can empower them and if you can listen to them and encourage them and lift them up, if you can do those things, you can create a tremendous amount of trust in your organization. And at the end of the day, trust is your best ingredients to leadership success. It's all mm. about trust. If you build trust, you got something. If you don't have trust, you got nothing. This is another reason why integrity is always so important is trust only comes with time, right? Trust comes with getting to know people better and getting to know that person's character and if they're a person of their word or not. And uh, that's just another reason why it's always so important to treat everybody equally and with respect. And I love that those were the three things that John gave you as well, because it leads directly into the next thing I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, which is relationship building and connecting with uh, high-level individuals such as yourself and you know people like John Mack as well. This is the question that I ask everybody to get the conversation headed in the right direction, Walt, which is, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important? Which of those two is more important and why? Oh, that's a great, that is a great question. I've been asked that before. I think if I had to pick one, which is I think the way you're phrasing this, it would absolutely be who you know, not what you know. And I think especially in the short term, I think we know more people than we think we know through connections. I remember when I was at Harvard Business School and I was looking for a summer job and I wanted to be in the real estate business and there weren't that many employers that came to campus to interview. And so I remember I sent a form letter out to, oh, I don't know, 25 or so. I went to live in California at the time. And, I, and so I, I sent a form letter to 25 or so Harvard Business School grads who I did not know. The only connection I had is that they went to the same school I went to. I, I sent him this letter. I said, you know, guys, I want to be in the real estate business. I want to live in California. I don't know you, but we went to the same school. So let's break bread together, that type of thing. And I couldn't believe I got 12 interviews, wow. six job offers that summer. You know, I was on my way and I didn't know any of these people from Adam. I didn't know them at all, except we had yeah, that connection. Right. Now I will say this, and I truly do believe that it is who you know, but I don't believe you can bluff yourself through life either. Sure, um, sure. You know, what you know, or let's just say your preparation for what you do will create longevity. I mean, if you don't prepare and you don't increase what you know over time, once you get the job or once you, you know, get in the door, whatever that is, you won't, you know, succeed in the long run either. I mean, you yeah. kind of, it's a little bit of both. But if I had to pick one to say what is more important today, I would say, who you know is probably more important. Yeah, I love that explanation. And I appreciate you highlighting the, the part about what you know. That's essentially how I feel about it. Walt is the same way. It's like, I genuinely believe that prioritizing relationships and people is more important than prioritizing knowledge and your skill, but only to a certain, a certain extent. And if you only focus on knowing people, then you can know a lot of people and just be the guy that hangs out with all these people and <laughs> no, right. not doesn't have any value to add to anybody ever, which probably means if you're trying to connect with high level people anyway, that you're probably not going to be able to hang in those circles for very long because those types of people, people that are doing things with their lives tend to only hang out with other people 
that are of a similar mindset. And if you're just the guy that's hanging around because you know everybody, then uh, you might end up just not getting invited to the next thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to play up to the level that you're trying to connect on or at least be you know, eager and willing to learn and improve and be ambitious enough to take action and get better at what it is that you're doing, but that who you know will just accelerate that process in a tremendous way, I think. No question about it. I couldn't agree with you more. So while tell me, just as a quick example, I love to pull out real life stories for people because oftentimes, you know, stories are the things that we really care about, not just somebody saying something, but also showing how this has worked in their life. Do you have an example, an illustration of a time where maybe you met somebody and you had no idea what kind of an impact that one connection or relationship would turn into down the road, but it ended up turning into something big, whether it was maybe another connection to somebody else or a business opportunity or a job offer or something like that. I think that's really a great question. I, I would say that pretty much everything I've done in life has started off with one connection or another, whether that was you know my first job at Pricewaterhouse in making connections through other people or whether that was... Not, maybe not necessarily Harvard Business School, but certainly the job that I took at Trammell Crow Company and ultimately at Prologis. I met people through other people. In my case of going to work at Prologis, I had no idea who the CEO was, but I knew a friend of a friend that knew of this startup company that he ultimately introduced me to and I had dinner with and ultimately led to a job and and 15 years later, I became the CEO of the company. I mean, yes, it's happened over and over and over. And I think the critical aspect of it is that you just got to put yourself in play and you have to, you know, ultimately find that connection that ultimately gets you where you want to get. Yeah, sure. I absolutely love that. Walt, I want to talk to you a little bit about your time at Prologis because anytime I speak with anybody who's the CEO of a large organization, I, I love the conversation because it fascinates me to chat with people who have that much influence over a large amount of people and who can actually deal with the stress and the anxiety and all the other things that come along with that and do it in a really positive way that seemingly does not take as uh, like as big of a dive in their you know personal life as it should on paper maybe but you are even more unique in the fact that you were made CEO of a real estate company essentially <laughs> during the 2008 crash of real estate so even more so impressed by your ability to lead that organization during that time so can you talk to us just about how that opportunity came about and then how do you decide as a leader, as CEO of a new organization like that, what step number one is? Yeah, I can. So just leading up to that, I had worked for the company for about 15 years. I sort of rose through the ranks as a regional person and then a chief financial officer. And then ultimately, I became the number two person, the president and chief operating officer. And the company is a global company. I mean, we're, we're in 22 countries throughout the world and today has over $100 billion in assets. Very, very large company. The CEO of the company at the time was one of the most brilliant people I ever knew. However, he believed that he was always right. He paid little attention to what others had to say. He um, sometimes even twisted the truth, withheld mm. the truth, and was very difficult to work for in that regard. And so I after about 15 years with the company, I went to the board and I said, guys, I just can't work here anymore. It doesn't match up with who I am as a person and I need to leave the company. And after a few months of them trying to get us to kiss and make up at the top, it just wasn't going to work. And at that point, our stock price was at about 
$70 a share, maybe $72 a share. Now, 2008, which is this year that I'm talking about, was a very difficult year. I mean, this, the S&P 500 was down big and so nobody did that well. But I just sat there. I, I left in January of that year and I just was watching on the sidelines. And by March, the stock is at $60 a share. By June, the stock is at $45 a share. By August, and then into September, it's down to $15 a share. And by oh the my goodness. end of October, it's below $5 a share. And it was down 96%, third worst performing stock in the S&P 500 behind AIG, which was later taken over by the federal government, and GGP, which later went bankrupt. So give you an idea of what the market thought our prospects were at the time. And the board called me up and said, Walt, uh, you were right. We are ready to fire the CEO, and we would like you to take over as the CEO. Are you willing to come back? And um, I tell you what, man, I, it was, I struggled with it. I, I said, well, how long do I have? And they said, 24 hours. <laughs> so, oh, man. Man, I tell you, I, I knew Travis would take a big, big effort, and I, uh, but I agreed to do so. I knew I had hired many of the employees that were there, and, you know, I just, I, you know, I struggled. Honestly, I struggled with it. Like, let me, you know, most people get promoted to that position, and they love it. I, I was, you know, running away from it. But my wife and I sat down and we talked about it. And, you know, I will say this, that I think crucible moments are sometimes our best opportunities. I really, really, truly believe that. I was on a call this morning with Ed Bastian, who's the CEO of Delta Airlines. And um, Ed said something, a couple things that were really, really interesting to me. You know, he said, this is a time that we're anointed for. And this is, this is a blessing, not a burden. And he said, you know, what an honor and privilege it is to manage at a time like this. I kind of started thinking that way, that adversity leads to perseverance and perseverance builds your character. And I got to tell you, I, it took me a little while, but it turned out to be a great experience for me. It took four years really to turn the company around. And we went through some really, really difficult moments. But I learned as a leader the importance of, of people. I learned about transparency. I learned about humility, as I talked about before. I talked about, I mean, I learned about what real honesty meant in a very difficult time when it was hard for me to say things to people. I learned how to better communicate. And I learned how to create a purpose in the, in the organization that wasn't there. And through all of that, I think we created a situation where we built trust in the organization. And ultimately, we allowed the people that were there really to turn it around. I mean, people always say, well, Walt, how did you turn it around? In fact, the matter is, I didn't really turn it around. I enabled people to turn it around. And that's what leaders do. That's what they do best. They put people first because at the end of the day, the people in the trenches, they actually know a lot more than you do. <laughs> you're, you're the one that's anointed, but they know more than you do about it. Such an incredible, incredible insight there. How do you go about leading in an organization of that magnitude during a difficult time? How do you go about deciding what the next thing is? You know what I mean? Obviously, you thought things were not going well and uh, the stock price very much reflected that. But when you came in, what were, you know, a few of those decisions off the bat that were just, you know, maybe difficult to make or that were instrumental in making? I'll tell you the most difficult decision I had to make. So we had a management meeting a couple of months into this whole ordeal, and we talked about laying off people. Depending on how long you thought the recession was going to be, a couple of my managers made the argument to me that maybe we should only lay off 10 to 15% of our workforce. And I can remember a few others said, well, Walt, if this thing lasts years, and it could, 
we're going to need to lay off at least a third of our workforce. And they took me through the math. You know, we talked about it. And so we decided that the right number was 30%. And um, let me tell you, you know, when you cut 30% of your workforce, I mean, you're not cutting fat, you're cutting bone. And again, a lot of these people I had hired and I see them and their eyeballs walking down the hallway and, and, and I could see the difficulty they're all struggling with and they all knew it was coming, by the way. And one of our executives in the room said, hey, you know, we're not going to know for about 30 more days who we're going to lay off. So let's just not make the announcement. And I remember thinking, you know, we're trying to build trust in this organization. You think people aren't standing around the water cooler talking about who's going to get laid off? Everybody knew it was going to happen. They just didn't Mm. know what the magnitude was. And I I remember saying, no, we got to tell them like tomorrow. Now we're a public company. You can't tell your employees something that you don't tell the marketplace. So we had to make an announcement, but we decided to make the announcement before we had all of the facts. And we we made the announcement publicly. We called all of our employees together. All of our people in Europe were webcast at the time. All the people in Asia were still sleeping, so they saw it on video the next morning. But we sat there and we said, look, here's the deal, guys. We risk losing people and telling you in advance, but the truth of the matter is that we're going to have to lay off one out of every three of you. And here is the math. We took them through the math. We took them through why we had to do it. The deal is that we're either going to lay off a third of you or none of us are going to have jobs in a year from now, okay? And so it's either put up or shut up, and that's what we're going to do. Here's why, and here's the deal. We're a company that we're not going to go bankrupt. We don't think right now, but we could. But we're going to treat you so fair that nobody can complain about this. We're going to provide financial advice. We're going to provide emotional support, counseling to people. We're going to give you fair severance packages in the marketplace. We're going to personally meet with every employee. We're not going to leave it up to HR to lay you off whenever we decide. But we're, we want you to know that we are being transparent with you, that we are trying to build your trust, and we're telling you something way in advance of when we should. And the truth of the matter is that we just don't know who it is at this point in time, but this is what we're going to do. I just found, you know, you asked me, give me an example. I just found that sometimes brutal honesty and transparency, no matter how hard it is, works. And it matters to people. And truth be told, some of those people that we let go of came back in three or four years when we got on our feet. And, you know, they were proud to come back to the company. And I was proud to bring them back. And I think that was the show of how we handled the situation. And we tried to handle as many situations like that as we can, just with honesty and transparency and openness no matter how hard it was for us to tell them. Yeah, I could not agree with you more on that. And obviously not from uh, running a large organization as a CEO standpoint, but even just in interpersonal relationships, my marriage even is something that my wife and I try to practice is that radical honesty piece, being honest when it hurts you and you know it's going to hurt the other person. And it hurts you because you know you're about to hurt the other person, but also it doesn't change the facts. And sometimes that brutal, total openness and honesty is exactly what needs to be happening. Walt, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I want to move on to the last segment here, something I like to call the random round. Just a few quick random questions and random answers. But first, I want to make sure that we give you a second to talk about the book that you have coming out. So I'll take a couple quick minutes. Let us know what's the main takeaway and then where can we pick up a copy? Great. Be happy to. So the book is called Transfluence. You might wonder how in the heck did we come up with that name? And it stands for Transformational Influence. As a leader, you've got a lot of objectives to accomplish. And my objective was turn around the company. It's result, every, you know, business is results oriented. 
But I think your most important objective is the influence you have on other people. In other words, it's not just about the result. It's about the journey and getting there. And it starts with the understanding that it's not about you. It's about the influence you have on other people to accomplish great things. And so that's why we call it transformative influence or uh, transfluence, transformatively influencing the lives of other people, making them better at what they do. And by the way, if you do that, you will succeed in your business. So I'm excited to to put it out. You can get a hold of me through waltrakowicz.com, which is my website. I'm also on Twitter at, at Walt Rakowicz and um, at LinkedIn under Walter Rakowicz. And I'd be happy to spell that name for you because it's a tongue twister, R-A-K-O-W-I-C-H. Perfect. So make sure to go pick up a copy of Transfluence. Any of you that are listening, especially those of you in leadership roles could use this book that, uh, that Walt just came out with. So Go check that one out. And let's uh, go ahead and move into the last round here. Walt, the random round. You ready? Yeah, ready. What profession other than your own do you think that it would just be fun to attempt? I could tell you first, uh, I would love to be a member of a rock band. Yeah, that's a good answer. <laughs> I, you know, I love music. I played the trumpet. I played drums. I played the guitar. I played three instruments in my life. I love performing in front of an audience. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and chat for an hour, who would it be? Well, it would be Nelson Mandela. I'd talk to him about his change from being a radical to a humanitarian and uh, one who literally changed the face of apartheid through, if you will, his compromise, his humanitarianism, and through his humility. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? I'm 62 years old, so I'm a book guy. You know, I love leadership books overall, love history books, but basically I'm a book guy. Love it. What's a book that you'd recommend to the entire audience? The most impactful book that I've read is Purpose Driven Life, it's written by Rick Warren and hmm. um, gives me hope that what I'm living for has relevance and meaning. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. I get up, used to get up as CEO at four to 4.30 in the morning. I now get up at five. I spend quiet time with my creator every morning. First and thanks, second, praying for others. And third, I review the events of yesterday and today. I talk with them about what those events mean and and how I can do them better. What is your go-to pump-up song? (laughs) September by Earth, Wind & Fire. I went to the Kennedy Center Honors last year in Washington, D.C., and I have never seen a crowd brought to their brought to their knees when <laughs> 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 the fire did. I, I just love that song. I will say that my favorite song, however, is What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. What is something that you are just not very good at? <laughs> I am not good at shopping. <laughs> <laughs> I leave that to my wife. That is a great answer. <laughs> that is a great answer. I'm sure she doesn't mind. She does not mind. (laughs) As we get everything wrapped up here, Walt, what is one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? I'd say the best place is through my website, waltrakowicz.com. But again, you can also go through LinkedIn, uh, Walter Rakowicz. Perfect. So waltrakowicz.com. And again, Rakowicz is R-A-K-O-W-I-C-H, waltrakowicz.com. Be sure to go check out some of the stuff he's putting out there and buy a copy of his book ASAP so that you don't forget. Walt, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Had a fantastic time chatting with you. You too, Travis. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for this episode. If you want to connect with me and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join my free Facebook group, The Lounge. I'll see you over there and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.